0: The World Cup in Qatar kicked off on November 20th in spectacular fashion. 32 teams descended on the Gulf nation, ready to play in eight venues across five towns. After 26 days of football, we're down to the last eight nations. Teams from the Middle East and North Africa have made history in the tournament. Saudi Arabia's 2-1 win over Argentina... And Morocco's 2-0 triumph over Belgium caused unexpected sporting upsets and sparked an outpouring of jubilation across the Arab world. Expressions of pan-Arab solidarity have become commonplace in Qatar. Saudis have cheered for Qataris at the World Cup, Algerians cheered for Moroccans, Palestinians have cheered for Arab teams, and Arab teams have waved the flag of Palestine. What is the significance of this moment of pan-Arab unity at the World Cup? Is this a change from what we've seen before at major tournaments or a continuation of cross country football solidarity? And why is a Palestinian cause on centre stage at this international event? I'm Rosie McCabe, welcome to the New Arab Voice.
1: yeah, in terms of Middle Eastern and North African teams, we saw host nation Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Morocco, and Tunisia all in the group stages.
0: This is Shahla Omar. She's an editor for the New Arab and has been closely covering the World Cup.
1: We saw all but Morocco knocked out in the group stages, performances of varying success. I mean, Qatar were outcast in their in their group, but Tunisia, Saudi Arabia. ...putting on especially impressive performances in the group stages
0: Tunisia beat France 1-0 The crowd erupting with fever pitch excitement in the Qatari stadium However, they lost to Australia and drew to Denmark Saudi Arabia's heroic win over Argentina Which sparked several noticeable celebrations One involving a fan ripping his own door off Was followed by defeats against Mexico and Poland However, there's still Morocco
1: You know, Morocco are definitely on the ascendant. So I I don't think that was like a massive, massive shock. Chatelain is
0: referring to Morocco's win against Spain on December 6th. The nail-biting knockout match went down to penalties, with Morocco netting three goals against Spain.
1: I think it was more that Morocco were able to hold their nerve, like we saw during the penalty shootout. Spain really just crumbling and the Moroccan penalties, at least the first and the third one, being very, you could see the assurance and the confidence. So that was, it was really, yeah, I think that was what was more more impressive about their performance.
0: Impressive is indeed one word for it. To truly appreciate the feat and emotion of this victory, you need to speak to Moroccan football fans.
2: It was like a fairy tale. It was something that We couldn't, I have never, like, I've seen people yesterday, people kneeling, they were praying because they have never achieved this. We have never gotten this far.
0: This is Mehdi Merin, a 22-year-old Moroccan football fan in Rabat. After Tuesday's win against Spain, putting Morocco in the final eight, he was out on the streets celebrating.
2: The moment the game finished, I got out to see people celebrating, tons of people, whether they are elderlies, whether they are, 10-year-old boys going, and I was celebrating, and uh, sudden, suddenly, because I was jumping and dancing, suddenly I turned and I found the King of Morocco showing up in his Rolls Royce. I couldn't believe, like, I, I, I was so shocked, I, I, I couldn't believe. The moment I saw the police around him, then I believed that it's the King of Morocco.
0: Also out celebrating in Casablanca was Amin Hafed, a 22-year-old Moroccan fan. You can't imagine.
3: Everybody was screaming. Some of us were almost fainted. Like A lot of us sat down and just stopped reacting because we cannot react. Our bodies just stopped <laughs> moving for, for a while.
0: When I asked Amin about what lay behind this victory... He talked ecstatically about the enthusiasm, happiness, and quote positive vibes end quote sent from fans to the players.
3: Uh, yes, the, the match was full of emotions. It was really full of emotions. We were screaming, yelling, sending love vibes, as the coach said.
0: Morocco's coach, Walid Raguagui, has been hailed by football fans for transforming the North African team into one motivated not just to compete, but to win. His formula, say fans and commentators, is to create a strong sense of unity underpinned by belief and positivity.
3: And he said something really important last time. He said, if you really believe that Morocco will win the World Cup, if you really send us these good vibes, if we can say, even if the opponent shoots the, the ball, it will hit the corner of the goal and then go back.
0: These positive vibes have come not just from Moroccans, but on the world's biggest sporting stage, we've seen Arab fans cheering as loudly for their team as they have for their neighbouring brothers and sisters.
4: Teams like Tunisia, Morocco, Saudi Arabia. I mean, it was so great watching them play in this World Cup because, first of all, the travelling support was incredible.
0: This is Maham Azahi, an Algerian football journalist. His grandfather was one of the first football referees after Algeria gained independence.
4: You combine that with local support from, you know, people from the diasporas living in Qatar, as well as Qataris themselves. I mean, it's made for such great atmospheres in the stadium.
0: Back in Algeria, Maha said he saw lots of videos of Algerians celebrating the Moroccan victory. This, he added, was nothing new. Pan-Arab solidarity is a common fixture, both inside and outside of stadiums.
4: Often, you know, somebody from Morocco or Algeria will have much more in common with somebody from Spain or France than, than somebody in Yemen at times, in terms of like cultural influences, in terms of, you know, the architecture that they see in their cities, the food that they eat. And at the same time, <laughs> the Yemeni can say that he's an Arab, just like the Algerian and, and the, the French can't. So it's, it's a little bit of a weird one. But it's, it doesn't exist in, you know, some, it's, not, it's not just some sort of vague notion. It does exist. It, there is such thing as Arab nationalism.
0: In a footballing context, there are multiple examples of pan-Arab unity. For example, when Algeria won the Africa Cup in 2019, there were huge celebrations across Morocco. What we've seen at the World Cup is the full visibility of this cooperation, interchange and support from the Atlantic to the Gulf on a global platform.
4: Countries across that MENA region, even across East Africa, I think do subscribe to to it as well and there is definitely an element of feeling proud that this is the first Arab World Cup it's it's just no denying it, you ask people across the the Arab world and they're going to say that they do feel like they have a stake in it, that this is the first Arab World Cup and they're proud of it being the first Arab World Cup and in that sense it's been really great to have an Arab team Morocco make it to the quarterfinals I think everybody's just now rooting for them to, to go on as far as possible
0: Moroccan supporter Mehdi said that this unity and sense of pride in the Qatari hosts is also a response to the way the tournament has been covered in Western media.
2: Because of the attack of Western media on Qatar, that made the Arabs so united to defend Qatar. It's the first time it's been held in an Arab country. So it's, that's why it's unique. The matches are unique. The crowds are unique. The audience is different. That's why I think what made people so united.
0: When you have this tidal wave of support, said the footy fanatic, this changes the outcome of matches.
2: If you ask me about why Arabian countries are doing so much better in this World Cup, because they are playing in the neighbouring countries. Not culturally neighbouring, not geographically, but they share the same language in that. If you ask me why, I was not shocked when, when Argentina was beaten by Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was playing in Qatar. Qatar is like, it's like playing in Saudi Arabia. Basically. If, you, if, if they win, that's not a coincidence.
0: Expressions of Arab solidarity are not limited to mass celebrations of a sporting successes, however. Support for Palestine has also become a major story at this World Cup. If we look at the World
5: Cup as the most
0: popular kind of sport arrangements in the whole world,
5: what we see here is that this opportunity, or this World Cup in particular, offered the fans, the football fans, a unique opportunity and space as well to convey their views and commitment on Palestine.
0: This is Emil Badarin, a research fellow at the College of Europe at the Natolin campus in Warsaw. He is Palestinian and currently lives in Stockholm.
5: So what I would say here, what's new, is not really the content or what we call here solidarity with the Palestinian cause. What The only new thing is actually the visibility of this message, which is, has been broadcasted on basically globally in this special event.
0: Numerous Western outlets have portrayed this Palestinian solidarity at the World Cup as something new, forgetting that the true story here is not the groundswell of support among Arabs, but its visibility.
5: So everything the West basically told the Palestinians and their supporters that they can't do for whatever reason. They can't, for example, bring Palestinian politics, uh, concerns, uh, human rights violations, etc. to these cultural events.
0: FIFA prohibits the display of banners, flags and flyers that are deemed to be, quote, political, offensive and or discriminatory in nature. This rule has been used to ban Palestinian flags inside stadiums. Also, in 2017, FIFA made the decision to allow clubs that play in illegal Israeli settlements to compete. And we find
5: that... What is called, let's say, double standards brought up to the floor all of a sudden since the beginning of this year, basically since February 2022, where the West basically used all of these events huh, in the case of Russia. And that's in many ways provided, I think, a turning point for solidarity groups around the globe and activists as well. That's an important turning point in my view.
0: On the global stage, yes. The World Cup can be considered a turning point in terms of the visibility of Palestinian solidarity. When it comes to the visibility of Palestinian flags at Arab and African games, this, if anything, is to be expected. Maha, again.
4: Anybody with any experience going to matches in North Africa, in particular, will always see a Palestinian flag, whether it's a club match or a national team match. In Algeria, for example, one of the songs they always sing is Palestine shuhada so Palestine the Martyrs, and that's been being sung since 1988, really, since the, the, the first intifada. In Morocco as well, they have songs like Rajawi Felestini.
0: Of course, what's different now compared to 1988, or even two years ago, is that a number of Arab states have normalised relations with Israel. Take Morocco the North African country signed the controversial Abraham Accords, normalising relations with Israel in December 2020, following the UAE and Bahrain. Yet, look at the Morocco's team photo after the country's win against Spain, and you'll see a Palestinian flag front and centre.
3: It's not just a flag. It's the
0: Palestinian flag. This is Moroccan football fan Amin, speaking the day after their victory against Spain.
3: I was out with my friends and we had two Palestinian flags yesterday on our backs. Because it's not just a flag, as it's the Palestinian flag. It's a flag that means a lot of things. First of all, Palestine exists. The second of all, it's not called Palestinian conflict, it's called the Palestinian case. It does not only reflect the problems of the country, of Palestine, but it reflects the struggle of the people, that people are really fighting there for their rights. And that's exactly what people around the world are doing. We are trying to do it in Morocco also.
0: Amin's response, which was echoed by other Moroccans and Arab football fans, makes clear there is a gulf between public sentiment and official stances when it comes to Palestine and Israel in the MENA region.
3: If you want me to count how many friends of mine have broke down and cried and just got depressed for weeks after the recognition in 2020, it was massive. People in the streets went And you know, people went to the street, they were screaming and yelling in manifestations against the normalisation. People were out in the streets with the Palestinian flag.
0: The Palestinian flag, seen across the World Cup, has become somewhat of an unofficial flag of the tournament. As well as Arabs, support for Palestine has been voiced by Europeans, Americans, and by many across the globe. For example, a well-circulated clip from the tournament shows English football fans shouting, of course it's coming home, followed by Free Palestine, live on Israeli TV. A football fan wearing a Palestinian flag outside one of the stadiums said this.
4: I feel welcome. And I feel like there's a lot of solidarity, genuine solidarity with the people. And um, it's, it's not from... Like, um, Uh, one ethnicity, it's not just Arabs,
1: it's like everyone taking part in
0: that. On top of this, at the World Cup, there have been multiple cases of an unofficial boycott of Israeli broadcasters. Palestinian academic Emil Badarin describes this as speaking truth to power by walking away and refusing to engage. They refuse to speak to
5: Israel. And that's the the message what we need to do, is the, the idea of boycott, basically. By refusing to speak...
0: They showed support in many different, in their own different ways. Clips on social media showed some football fans just walking away. Others adopted a more direct approach. It
2: is, it is Palestine. Palestine, Palestine, there is no Sorry, you are not welcome here. Even if this is, this is Qatar, this is our country, you are not welcome here. There is only Palestine.
5: There is no rain. What I called here the Israeli journalistic mission, uh, like to uh, actually extract recognition from the, the fans of the Arab public. When this mission didn't achieve its goals,
0: they turned
5: to the victimhood narrative to explain that failure.
0: Emil says this victimhood narrative cast Israeli colonization and the current state of Israeli oppression of Palestinians as the norm. For these journalists, Israel is just another normal
5: state, right? They consider it as the only civilized, basically, state under democracy. It's a human right abiding and all that stuff. Of course, never mind the fact that it's just a state that is classified as practicing apartheid. The fans, by expressing their, let's say, support for Palestine, from the point of view of the settlers and these journalists, they violated their self-perception, their settler-based kind of version of justice and normality.
0: This is what the Palestinian ambassador to the UN said about the symbolic support for Palestine at the World Cup. The World Cup in Qatar dealt a decisive blow to Israelis' illusions. The winner of this World Cup is already known. It is Palestine with its flag
1: carried by people from every corner of the Arab world and the rest of the globe, present in every match and in people's chants.
0: With nine days of football left, when it comes to the winners who will lift the coveted trophy, that, of course, remains to be seen. Morocco is only three games away from footballing glory. Football journalist Maha again.
4: Everybody knows that Morocco is not the strongest team in the tournament on paper. That's not to say they're weak, but they're not one of the top eight teams on paper in this tournament if they find themselves in the quarterfinals. So how do you sort of punch above your weight if you're an underdog? Well, you do it by relying on the intangibles. How does Morocco do that? They do that in a few different ways.
0: For Maha, playing on your home turf makes a big difference.
4: One of the ways they do it is by relying on this home support that we spoke about The fact that they can get tens of thousands of supporters into Qatar, the fact that they have a big diaspora there already, the fact that other Arabs are supporting them uh, who are already in Qatar as well.
0: Another asset for the Moroccan team, said Maha, is this atmosphere of love.
4: One of the ways is that the coach and the federation pretty much ordered each one of these players to bring their parents along with them to Qatar. And what we see is that at the Moroccan team hotel at the Wyndham in in West Bay in Doha, you have basically, it's very cute, you have parents like sort of traipsing around the hotel, taking pictures with all of the players, talking to media about, how they they did such a great job raising their son.
0: Then, of course, Morocco has their new inspirational coach.
4: Morocco have only been playing under this coach over the last 100 days, really. They really believe in this coach. They want to play for him. And it's not just the players, it's also the supporters. And there's just so much positive energy. And that can really boost momentum when you have a national team with so much positive energy in a tournament.
0: And what are Moroccan fans saying ahead of their game with Portugal on Saturday? Mehdi. Mehdi.
2: OK, first things first. Um, we do have some unfinished business with Portugal. Well, we are done with Spain, now we have some unfinished business with Portugal. It's kind of a strange feeling, like the first time seeing a Moroccan coach with the national team doing something good. I don't know, it's kind of weird. It's a happy feeling, but it's weird sometimes. Because uh, that's, I mean, we have never witnessed
0: it. Final words to fan I Amin. Mean.
3: I will support Morocco till the end. I will support Morocco to win the World Cup and then win the African Cup, etc., etc. We are not here to reach further levels. We are here to win the Cup. And I really believe in that. And I'm sending positive vibes, as the coach said, to Morocco and Qatar to win the World Cup.
0: This episode of The New Hour of Voice was written and produced by me, Rosie McCabe, with additional help from Hugo Goodridge and Basma Alati. Our theme music was by Omar El-Phil. The New Hour of Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Hour of Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region.